0: I'm not talking about people making mistakes and doing the normal nonsense that humans do, because humans are disrespectful every day just by accident. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a pattern in practice where often people that are called toxic employees. And we often have people in our organizations who are toxic in this way, but we keep them because they're top producers. They know our top client. And so we're afraid we lose that relationship, we lose that business. I mean, there could be a million reasons why we keep toxic people, people around. But the funny thing about disrespectful people is that all the other employees are watching that person and watching that interaction and watching you.
1: Welcome to the Women Choosing Growth Podcast, where we feature inspiring stories of success, challenges of growth, and lessons learned from women entrepreneurs, industry experts, and thought leaders who have been through the growing pains inevitable as an entrepreneur. Whether you are just getting started or are looking to scale up your business, our show is designed to provide you with the tools, resources, and community you need to grow your business. Join your host, Tina Sue, a lifelong entrepreneur and business growth advisor, as we explore topics such as marketing, sales, finance, leadership, and personal growth all tailored specifically to the needs of women entrepreneurs. So if you're ready to grow your business faster and smarter, then this podcast is for you. Thanks for tuning in and let's get started.
2: Welcome ladies to a great episode with an amazing author, speaker, PhD Holden, dynamite woman, Gina Cox. Today we are talking about (laughs) R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Hopefully everybody's just saying that with me. But in all seriousness, we are talking about respect in the workplace. How respect is the key to building trust, leadership, inclusion, and connection in the workplace. Just like the tagline of her book, she is going to share her wisdom about driving change your employees can see and feel. Welcome to the show, Gina. Gina. I
0: feel like I should do a curtsy or something. Whenever I hear <laughs> such a wonderful introduction, I'm like, yeah, you're talking about me, I think, because the facts are right. But wow, <laughs> thank you for having me. Yes,
2: <laughs> yes, it is awesome. Um, Gina. talking with you recently and listening to your book, Yes People, It Is On Audio, I would love for you to share your journey of how you became such a well-known expert in, that you are today, because I do believe it is very unique and interesting. So please share how you became who you are today.
0: Oh, wow. Well, it's going to be a little rambly and you can hold me accountable for staying on the tracks. But, you know, ever since I was a child, my interest was always in, I wanted to be a journalist when I grew up. That that was my ambition. But I had been born in England of these parents. My father and mother had met in England. They were both originally from Barbados in the Caribbean, a colony. And when at some point I, when I said to my dad that I wanted to be a journalist, he had worked at, one of the largest newspapers in England, uh, back in the day. And he said, there's no way I'm going to pay for you to study journalism. All journalists are alcoholics who smoke too much because (laughs) he had this stereotypical idea based on something he had seen in the 1950s and he would work it in the business and he knew that. So anyhow, it's a funny story, but it has a lot to do with the the reality that at some point, um, what I realized I was really interested in was, Humans and what they do and why they do the things they do, and the journalism at the time was just a way for me to see I saw these journalists capturing this information, and I thought that's what I wanted to do as I um, went along in my career while I was still um before college i just I stumbled upon psychology, so I came to the United States when I was about twenty years old, and I had these ideas about psychology, about human behavior, about my interest in it, and the biggest revelation I had when I came to the United States was that. The the way that I saw myself in the previous 20 years of my life had to shift a little bit because I came to the United States and I kind of felt like people weren't reacting to me in the same way to, in which I had been reacted to previously. And as I tried to figure out what that was, I realized, you know, it's there's something about and every country has its uniqueness. But in the United States, you know, I kind of felt like when I showed up, I was sort of like the avatar of black woman because people were expecting me to say certain things to do certain things that were foreign to me. And so I spent a lot of time trying to understand how to be a black woman in America, good and bad. What does that really mean? That's a weird thing to say, but that's exactly how it felt. And what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has a whole lot to do with everything because between then and now, I still have this tendency to kind of operate like I'm looking down on myself in this big playground of America and trying to figure out how to maneuver. But in a more practical way, it led me to doing a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology so that I could study human behavior in another unnatural environment, which is the workplace. And then For decades, I advised leaders about how they could be more effective individual leaders or leaders of the organization, how they could be more impactful and influential. And I also spent a lot of time measuring employee opinions and experience to help them build healthy organizational cultures. But as I was doing that, because of this phenomenon I I previously uh, expressed, uh, explained, I kind of felt like a fake and a fraud and a phony because I knew that there was something that I was observing and also feeling that wasn't necessarily getting enough attention. But I just kept doing those things for many years and loved my career and loved working with leaders. But uh, in 2020, my life changed. Um, Breonna Taylor was killed in March of that year, and George Floyd was killed in May of that year. And all of a sudden, I recognized that I had a unique perspective and advantage when it comes to talking about how to help people thrive in general, but of, of course, especially in organizations. And I also had a unique unique perspective about what does that feel when you are perhaps someone from an underrepresented group, or if you're an immigrant, or what have you. I had a personal perspective on that. And so I wrote a book called Leading Inclusion, um, intended for any business leader, and particular those who run an enterprise from the top, so that they can get a better sense of what should they think about and focus on. As they try to build inclusive organizations, um, and I know we'll talk more, but ultimately I landed upon one word, and that word was respect.
2: Yes, And if you want, you can sing it too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know, every, it's funny because um, I do that all the time because I do you? <laughs> yeah because that word is so associated with that song and Aretha Franklin, that you almost can't help yourself. And there's also something about it that has like, it feels empowering. And, you know, it's a great song. And so I actually sing that those just that little part of it fairly often, it just kind of pushes me, you know, forward.
2: I love it. So let's get right to it. I love your journey. Um, It's unfortunate that you felt the way you did, but everything happens for a reason. And I believe that you use that to be able to change the world. And that's what you're doing. Today, with your book, with your presentations, and everyone that you're helping, so I want our listeners to be able to drive change in their organizations that can be seen and felt by their teams. So, first, I think, what do we need? um, What do you think is the key ingredient to having a healthy work environment? Yeah.
0: So, I already mentioned the word respect, and I'm just going to start to to talk a little bit more about that because one of the things that I really that got clear about as I was doing the research for my book is that I wanted to help leaders understand what they could do sort of system-wide, what they could do that sort of lay a foundation for inclusion in their organizations. And as I was thinking about how I would do that, it was really important as I wrote this book and as I talked to people, my goal is to bring people toward me. I want people to listen to what I have to say. Maybe they would find only one nugget, hopefully they'd find many, but the last thing I wanted to do was to push them away. And as I was talking to I interviewed several people, both leaders and non-leaders who are uh, working in corporations about their experiences in organizations. And when I analyzed the data from those conversations, as well as from the data I got from about 500 people who answered a survey in the summer of 2020, I asked the question, what would you like your leaders to know about your experiences in, your, in their organizations when it comes to inclusion? A very open-ended question. And when I analyzed the responses, what I noticed is that a lot of the things that people were talking about, were about the way that they wanted to feel in the organizations. I don't think that was really necessarily surprising. But when I look more specifically at what were they asking for, a lot of the things they were asking for seemed to me to be respect. They seemed to fall under the umbrella of respect. That was a bit of an epiphany because I I know that most of the time, leaders are very clear that everybody wants to get along and collaborate. Leaders are very clear that people want to get ahead in their careers and so on. But what leaders might not have been as clear about was how strongly people felt about some specific things uh, that they wanted to have in their organizations. And that work, as I analyzed it, got me to thinking more about, well, respect. How come we don't hear that word more often in corporate life? I mean, we hear it sometimes, but we don't hear it a lot as part of the big banner of the values that companies talk about and really try to enforce. And it occurred to me perhaps there's something here. And then I did a further analysis and I recognized that when you look at the data from the same kind of survey that I had done, when I looked at those responses, I could see that some people um, in certain groups, let's call them underrepresented groups, I'm going to use that word for this conversation, they had very specific comments that they offered in response to this question, very, very specific. And so when I looked at these, the things they asked for, it was really clear they were saying respect is not just the interpersonal niceties that people might be thinking about. It's that, but it also is about not just feeling seen, but feeling heard and valued. And so when I talk about respect, when, when leaders ask this question, what's the one thing to focus on nowadays? I say respect and I can articulate exactly what I mean by that
2: and why I think the way I do. And that was going to be my next question. So sometimes people are like, oh yeah, no, I respect all my staff. But what does that really mean? Break it down for us.
0: Yeah. So there are many different elements of respect as I think we all know that, right? We kind of know because we use this word so much in our personal lives. We kind of think we know what respect is, but in reality, there are many different ways to think about respect. And because I'm thinking about it primarily in the context of work, although as you will see, the things I talk about also apply in our personal lives, I really try to understand what are the be what is it that people feel like they want to receive? Because the first thing to remember about uh, respect it's, is that it's in the eye of the beholder. So I can say that I have done some things to be respectful of Tina. But only Tina can say if she felt respected after I did those things. And it is always that way. So one of the really important things about respect is that you have to think about it not from your own perspective, but from the perspective of the other person. And so if you're leading a group of people, it's really important to do what I call these three, the three C's. You know, you've got to be curious about people in order to get connection, in order to build comfort. You have to, you, it's hard to respect someone if you don't know anything about them, if you don't feel connected to them in some way, and if you don't have a certain sense of ease with them because you don't know what is respectful to them. So that was the first real big aha. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to the, just the that those three things, being seen, being heard, and being valued, most of us think respect is about the first part, being seen, like, Treating me like a human, acknowledging me, being nice to me, saying hello, what I call the interpersonal niceties. And in fact, that is an important part of respect. And unfortunately, we don't all manifest it. In a way, that part of respect is something that we can all strive to give to every other human that we meet, regardless of who they are, you know? Uh, And so I pride myself on every day trying to make sure that I am as respectful as I can be. And that takes care of that sort of being seen part, regardless of who I'm dealing with. But then there are these two other elements of respect that we don't think as much about. So the feeling heard part is the second part, and feeling heard in the workplace is not just about you know um, when I go to my manager and ask for something. It's more about in general, do I feel like I have a, I'm able to express my point of view, my opinions, the way that I feel, whatever I need to express, do I have space to express it? When I express it to my manager in particular, do I get that sense that my manager is listening and then using the information I have provided to in some way respond to what I have offered, not just ignoring it, but doing something with it to make things better perhaps. And then there's the part of being heard that has to do with making sure that I get credit for my ideas, that people know that I'm capable of generating ideas. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into feeling heard in a workplace context. And we don't think a lot about all of that um, uh, when, we, when we think about this stuff. And then the third piece, being valued, it's not just about making sure that I'm paid fairly, although clearly that's part of it. But being valued has both a reward component and also a recognition component. So if you're trying to make sure you, you really adequately deal with the valued component of respect, make sure that people are paid fairly and all of that, of course but they also want recognition and recognition can come in a variety of forms. Gina likes recognition in the form of thank you and maybe letting some other letting other people know that Gina has contributed and done this thing. Gina would think that's great recognition. Another person would say I don't want anyone else to know, but I wish that you would give me a day off or would you mind if you would let my you know, this other person over here that I really would like to know about me, would you tell that person how positively you think about me? Because it might help me long-term in my career. Well, I could never figure out that that's what Gina wanted and what's that, what the other person wanted if I didn't have that connection. So reward and recognition are components, that third component of respect. So when we think about respect, don't just think about the interpersonal niceties. Think about
2: also being heard and being valued. I think that's so impactful of what you just said, because I think exactly what you said, some people are like, I I hear all of my staff or even the underrepresented, but there's so much more to it. And that last piece is what I often teach and talk about is the love language of that person. It is not the same for two different people of how they feel loved or valued can be completely different, just like you had shared. Can you share an example of uh, a situation where uh, where it is wonderfully you know, laid out um, in being seen, being heard, and being valued in a situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> I'll give you a little bit of a negative and then a little bit of the positive and put the two things yes. together. I, I, I think of a situation where once a leader was giving out a, a recognition for Mother's Day in the form of uh, some flowers, uh, orchids or something like that. And they had been mailed to the homes of the mothers in that group. And then a person who saw these flowers, other people with these flowers in their background says, oh, what are those for? I'm seeing everybody has these flowers. And they say, oh, these are for Mother's Day. And the person says, oh, well, I didn't get any any flowers. I'm a mother. And then the backstory is that that person's manager was not connected to them, was not close enough to them to even know that they were a mother. And therefore, when they sent the flowers out, they didn't intentionally want to exclude that person. They didn't think for a minute. They they didn't consider that person because as far as they were concerned that they weren't in the realm, the the category of mother. So they didn't send flowers to that person. That's an example that I like because it brings home two points. It shows that the value of understanding the people around you, but it also shows how, well, what I didn't say, of course, is then that person was very disappointed. Because they could see that this person had done something, but then they didn't get to participate in it. So that example also reinforces this idea that, you know, you can cause sort of harm in a relationship when you're not connected, because you will do things that inadvertently can be disrespectful, even though you did not mean for that to, to be the case. The story about respect, though, on the other side that I want to tell is outside of the workforce uh, a workplace. And I want to tell it because I, it's it's a good opportunity for me to remind everyone that hopefully the things that I'm talking about today can be practiced, not just in the workplace, but outside of the workplace. And this is a personal story where several months ago, I, I, I needed to go to, um, to the safe deposit bat- box at my bank. It was inconvenient. And I had to wait till the, the, it was going to be open. And I was up early. So I said, you know, I'm going to stop at the grocery store near to this bank and use the time. In that way, so I walk into this unfamiliar grocery store, and I go down the, the cereal aisle, and I see a guy at the end of the aisle. You know, and he, we see each other. We you know, and no big interaction, but we see each other. We do our thing, and then eventually, I turn the corner, go down the next aisle, and at the other end of that next aisle, uh, when I get down there, the guy is kind of like waiting for me with with his cart and everything, and he goes, "Didn't I just see you in the cereal aisle?" Well, I already knew that meant he wanted to talk to me, and because I I really try hard in these situations. I want to be to interact with the people around me. I said, yes, and I saw you too. Yeah, I was getting my raisin bran or whatever. And so he proceeds to tell me his name, Tony. He had moved down here to Florida from New York X a number of years ago. He had owned a pizza shop. Uh he had, you know, he told me a little bit about his life. And then he said, you know, and I'm 92 years old. And he said, I am so honored that you took just this few minutes to talk to me. And then he said, I hope you will never forget this these few minutes that we had together. That blew my mind. That situation blew my mind. It blew my mind for a variety of reasons. First of all, I was already thinking a lot about respect and connection, but there was, there was something about that. It left me so warm and fuzzy that I still smile every time I tell the story. And what I can't really convey was a look on his face where he was feeling warm and fuzzy. It might be that these were the interactions that he intentionally set up whenever he went to the grocery store because those were his only social interactions. I don't really know, but it was important to him. But I got more out of it, from, I got more out of it than he did. But the importance, the, the, the significance of, of that situation and what it has to do with respect is that I had already been pre-programmed that when I interact, when I meet another person, a stranger, wherever, however, I'm going to try. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try. I'm not going to, unless I was impossible time-wise or something, I'm going to try. And so when he reached out, I, as soon as he gave me that clue, I just jumped right in and we had that human connection. That's the payoff. And that's also how I can feel at
2: work. Love it. And Tony is famous because he, that story is also in your book. (laughs) So I do remember it. And it, I remember I I was walking when I was listening to it and I I also got the warm and fuzzies because that's really what we want out of life, right? Is to be seen, be heard, be valued. This poor gentleman, you know, you've made his day and he made yours. I think
0: Mm -hmm. that's what we all want. And we can do this with our loved ones as well, because there's something about familiarity that breeds contempt. You've heard that expression before. And the funny thing about what I'm talking about is that some of these very same things that we could do, we often don't do, even with the people who are closest to us. Yes, agreed.
2: Are you an accomplished woman business owner with a story to tell? Do you crave a platform where you can share your journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Hey, everyone, it's Tina here. If you're fans of the show, then you know we are a show that celebrates the strengths and resilience of women entrepreneurs just like you. As we're getting this podcasting community going, I thought it would be fitting to an extended invitation to apply to join me as a guest on our Top 100 podcast platform. I started Women Choosing Growth because I believe that real growth happens when we come together and share our expertise and our experiences. We want to hear your inspiring stories, the challenges you face, and the lessons you've learned on your entrepreneur journey. Whether you've triumphed over adversity or faced setbacks head on, your story has the power to inspire and empower other women just like you. This platform is for you to showcase your achievements, highlight your expertise, and create meaningful connections within our community. So if you're a fearless woman business owner, unafraid to open up about your path to success, we want you on our show. Go to www.womenchoosinggrowth.com and join our community. From there, you'll be given the chance to fill out the short application. If you believe that you have a story to share, then why not? Once again, it's www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. I can't wait to feature more amazing and talented women in this community. Now, back to the show. Let's talk about, you know, I, I feel like there's a couple different types of women listening in there from a, from a business standpoint. And I also remember myself when I knew all of my staff, um you know, at the earlier stages of the business. And I could do the the things that you, like you're mentioning of getting to know them, what makes them feel valued. But at some point, the business grows beyond the owner to be able to know all those intricacies of every staff person. Mm-hmm. How, how can an organization, if uh, respect is part of their core values or they're listening and they're like, yes, this is something I definitely want to incorporate, which they should, how does an organization that has multiple layers really make sure that the individuals are seen, heard, valued, respected, um, even when there's, you know, bigger, bigger numbers of staff, more layers of leadership? How does that work?
0: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It gets harder. But the first thing is, you know, the reason I say drive change, you know, sort of from the top of the organization is that that person who's listening You are probably the only person in the organization who can possibly make it happen. And because it has to start at the top, that's the first thing. So if you agree that this is an idea that you would like to really have sort of trickle into your organization, you've got to sort of set that North Star. So you define it, of course. You say, this is going to be a part of our value. So you publish it, you talk about it, you write it. But you also have to ask every one of your direct reports to do a similar thing. Think of it as a pyramid scheme of respect, right? Your direct reports, <laughs> like whoever, you know, whoever those people are, they, you have got to say to them, this is non-negotiable. This is like how we know we have to make profits or how we know we have to use this particular ingredient or whatever it is that you deliver or, or sell. This is one of our non-negotiables. We will be respectful and this is how we define it. And, and then perhaps provide them with some behavioral examples. But you then have to say to them, and now you need to go hold the people who report to you accountable for this because I'm going to hold you accountable for it. So then it gets down to the point of the, you know, formal, formally communicating it, putting it up on a sign, putting it wherever you want to put it, putting it in a slogan, putting it places where people see it. But the most important thing is that any employee, when I talk about this, it's not just a leadership obligation. It's an obligation of every employee in the organization. So you set it up that way. It's not just for leaders to do it. And what you're basically saying is every colleague will interact with every other colleague in a respectful way, defined as you define it. And then every employee will respect, uh, will interact with every customer or client or patient or what have you in a respectful way. You define that. So then the next thing that has to happen is the measurement of that. And when I say measurement, that sounds really formal, but it doesn't even have to be. You could certainly put it into things like performance appraisals, or it can be a factor that you consider when you decide who gets a raise or who doesn't. But the measurement that I'm talking about is, would want, is that the minute anyone experiences something that is disrespectful, that they know what to do with it. You know, if I experience disrespect from a colleague, what I would want you to teach your staff to do is, if if a a colleague disrespects you, talk directly to the colleague and say, I know you probably didn't realize it when you did this thing, but this is how it made me feel. You know, that's sort of like that classic script. So I'm not telling them to Mm -hmm. go to their manager yet. I'm just saying, because we're trying to embed embed this into the organization where every individual holds every other individual accountable. They can't wait for the manager Mm -hmm. to solve these things. So I I try to encourage people to get accustomed to the idea that they can talk directly to their colleagues and say, oh, by the way, I know you didn't realize this, but so-and-so. And I know... That, that is hard. And I'm not saying it's an, it's a simple solution or easy to do, but I think it's the place to start. Now, if I can't get the problem resolved, then I go to the manager and say, you know, this is something that happened. This is how it made me feel. Here's what I tried as a resolution, but nothing got done. I need your help to help me help this person so that we can work together well and be the best producers that we can be for XYZ company. Um, I spent a little extra time talking about that because I know that a lot of times people think they should go to managers and leaders to solve disrespect problems and leaders and managers should set that foundation by setting the expectation but I think the ultimate solution to disrespect problems always occurs in one to one interactions as a as the ideal scenario and then you go to something else if you can't fix it there.
2: The way that I just you know heard you and tying it back to what you said in the beginning that respect is on the person's feelings, not if someone feels like they're respecting you. Um, But it sounds like you're empowering them to own that feeling of disrespect by going to the person and trying to solve it at that level. Um, Mm -hmm. Showing that other person respect too of like, hey, you hurt my feelings or I you know, I feel bad that you didn't give me the flowers, but you know, I think we should have a chat or whatever. Right. So it's right. like empowering them to solve the issue. Is Kind of how yeah. I heard you say it.
0: It's absolutely that. And, and anyone listening to this who right now thinks, yeah, that's easy to say, but hard to do. yeah, It's true mm-hmm. because it's a mindset, right? It's a point of view. And so I have to say, okay, I'm going to tell Tina that she hurt my feelings somehow, whatever it is. I'm going to talk directly to Tina. So I have to be willing to be vulnerable to do that. And then I, we have to also teach Tina that if you, in my company, if Gina comes to you and says, this is something that happens, or Tom comes to you and said, this is something that happened. What you owe Tom is you owe Tom to listen to what Tom has to say, because Tom is the ultimate expert as to whether he had a bad feeling or not, not you. So when Tom comes to you and said, this is what happened, you have to listen to Tom and, you, and the only appropriate response when someone says they feel something about anything, this goes in personal life, is to say, well, gosh, thank you for letting me know that. I had no idea. I, I certainly didn't intend to do that. And now that I know, you know, I'm, help, me, help me make sure that I don't do something like that again. Let, I like that language because help me make sure I don't do something like that again. Sounds like not only did I hear you, but I know you're the expert on this. You know, and if you see me doing that again, kick me in the butt. Pull my hair. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: those kinds yeah. of like,
0: <laughs> try if you can find some way to take the heat off the situation. Because the other funny thing about disrespect into conversations is that often people go into them in a way that creates that makes it worse, not better, at the end, right? Your goal is not to win. Your goal is to communicate how you feel, but your goal is to see if you can help make things better. And it takes a two to tango on that one.
2: Yeah. Basically you're trying to, um, help change and to make yeah. the organization, you feel better, make the other person more, you know, s- stronger in their own personalities, um, in a good way and then make the organization better. So it should be a win-win kind of approach.
0: Yeah, I absolutely think that. And I know sometimes I sound a little Pollyanna because I have a very strong point of view about this also because I'm an, uh, I guess, a trained executive coach and, and I, I, for a living help. Other people figure out how to deal with people who challenge them in the workplace. You know, it's difficult. And I know that um, there's no win. There's no win. It can't be a win and lose. It's got to be that there's a win-win somehow. Maybe not in the first conversation, but it's got to be set up that way for sure.
2: Yeah. And I think too, you know, it's, it's great if, if you came to me and said, I hurt your feelings. I, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Help me not to do this again. That's, that's me wanting to make that change. And I know there'll be times in organizations when that person just does not want to change, maybe even did it intentionally, intentionally or not, not willing to change. Yes. That's when I'm, I'm assuming, and I'll ask you this, my, my thought on it is that then as leaders, we have to decide if that person is part of our organization, right? Because it, it they're after, you know, time, not like people can't make mistakes, but if someone's blatantly not trying to respect colleagues but it seems like they're not a fit for the organization if that's the organization's uh, core values. Am I on track for that? absolutely
0: right, Tina. Um, And I I will dare say that you've hit the nail on the head in that what you're saying is you got to put your money where your mouth is. Your actions have to match. So if you are someone who chooses to make respect a part of your corporate values, know that what this is going to mean is that you're going to be tested to see if you really mean it. And when I say tested, situations will arise when you will have to make the call as to whether does this fit into respect or disrespect category. And then once it fits into the disrespect category, what are you going to do about it? Now, person, anybody can make, can be, you know, I'm not talking about people making mistakes and doing the normal nonsense that humans do because humans are disrespectful every day just by accident. I'm not even, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a pattern in practice where often people are called toxic employees. And we often have people in our organizations who are toxic in this way, but we keep them because they're top producers. They know our top client. And so we're afraid we lose that relationship. We lose that business. I mean, there could be a million reasons why we keep toxic people, people around. But the funny thing about disrespectful people, especially if they get a lot of reward for it in the form of you know like promotions, or they make more money, or they have closer relationships with the business owners is that all the other employees are watching that person and watching that interaction and watching you. And so what you're basically teaching employees is, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, respect is important, but it doesn't really apply to person B, right? Person B gets away with things. And eventually everybody else starts saying, oh yeah, well, that's person B. Person B is special because they can do this, and this but we can't do that. And all of a sudden, all your claims... That you value respect are lost, and then you lose respect in the eyes of your of your of your team. So not to be hard on business leaders because I try really hard in the book and I don't know if I succeed, and I try hard in my conversations to convey, I don't think I can do your job. I don't think any of this stuff is easy when in fact it has to fit in with all the other obligations that you have as a leader. I do, however, think it's your core obligation as a leader, because if you bring humans into your workplace, You have an obligation to make sure that they don't feel, you know how physicians say, do no harm. You have an obligation to make sure that your organization doesn't do harm to anyone that you bring in as an employee.
2: Amen to that. Um, The toxic person, talk about it in the episode of peeing in the pool. (laughs) So we talk about that, of how one person can change the entire environment over a short period of time. So toxic Mm -hmm. people definitely um, have more power than most people think. Definitely. So another question I have for you is, uh, again, in an organization, how would a leader know? They might feel like everyone is being respectful. What kinds of things can a, either leadership team or the owner or you know, even mid-level managers, how can they know that their organization is heading in the right direction, is respectful, um, and, and valuing those core values?
0: Mm-hmm. So I said the core values and the establishment of them and setting the expectations, that's the executive's responsibility. The executive team, the top layer has to set that tone. I'll go to the very bottom of the organization now to answer this, this question that you just asked. The only, the key stakeholder in conversations about organizational culture are employees, not other managers. The only uh, people's opinions who matter to answering the question that you just asked, which is what does it really feel like to work here? And does it feel respectful? The only people who can answer that is employees in general, right? And of course, some of those employees are leaders too. So the first thing I always say is start at the bottom, don't start at the top because your direct reports are great people. They're very, very good at what they do. And that's why they're your direct reports. But first of all, they don't always know. Second of all, they're not always aware of the dynamics that they might have themselves created that might prevent them from knowing. And so and sometimes they just don't want to tell you the whole arm varnished truth, uh, not because they're bad people, but because there's a power imbalance, right? So I like to say, start at the bottom. And so, you know, sometimes you can do things like surveys if, if it's a large enough organization. And and there's and even if the organization is not large, there's an advantage to surveys, let me say, the advantage to surveys is that they give the people who have responded a little bit of distance so that they don't they're not afraid to say what they have to say. That's if they trust you, right? If they trust you. They don't trust and, you. And assuming
2: knows. their name is... Not on the survey.
0: Exactly, totally anonymous, right? So surveys offer that advantage. I never recommend, however, that surveys are used as the only way you get information, but surveys have a place. And sometimes it's good to start there and then you can follow those up, follow that up with them. Um, you know, focus groups or conversations where you ask people, well, we I have another little script for this that I've said to executives for so many years that um uh, it's almost like it's in my head. I say, you know, you go back to your employees and say, you know, Thank you for t- participating in this survey. Uh, I, we learned from you that we're really good at A and we're kind of good at B, but we suck at C. And now that we know this, we're going to do something because we want all of those buckets to be A buckets. And so we're going to start having some conversations with with you and... You know, because we've learned so much, I want you to know we're going to do something with this information, and so you can look out for these conversations and blah blah, blah, because the, the second most important thing about surveys or even focus groups is that you must do something with the feedback that you receive from these generous employees. Okay, but okay, so that's all fine. But I'm going back to the to the individual employee and saying uh, level and saying, all of that is good. What's even better? Every manager, every person in your organization. Who has any responsibility regardless of whether they're called supervisor lead, vice president, doesn't matter anyone that has any responsibility for leading a group of people also needs to be what I called a designated hitter leader right? Uh, well, I say that in America because and maybe in Japan where baseball uh, and in the, you know <laughs> places where people play baseball, but the concept of the designated hitter I love it is that It took me a long time to understand what a designated hitter was, by the way, when I came to the United States because I didn't know anything about baseball. But then I kind of fell in love with this idea. You mean that there's a person who has only one primary job and that is to hit this ball in place of another person on the team who is not as good at hitting balls. And so when that designated hitter comes out, They've trained for this. They're practiced for this. The whole team expects them to do this, and when they do the thing, it lifts everybody up, and they go yay and blah blah blah. Leaders need to, managers need to be thinking like that. So if I'm managing three people or ten, I need to recognize that in the whole universe, not just not just my company, not just my state, not just my country, in the world, there's no other human who is who these three people expect to have their back. I am their manager. I am their designated hitter manager because they know what color socks I wear. If I like gold versus silver jewelry, they know something about me. And the reason they know this is because they expect me to care about them and to be their protector, to have their backs. Right. So separate from surveys and all these other things that are more complicated to do, I say, hold every one of your supervisors responsible for being curious And connected to the people that the individuals on their smaller teams so they can have comfort and then they will know how to be respectful, how to how to lead those people. That's why my book is called Leading Inclusion, because if you don't you don't have to study a whole lot to more, you don't have to worry about how many more courses do I need to be a better leader. The key to effective leadership is knowing the people you lead. And so I know that's kind of a long story I just told, but the answer to that question is that you then have to hold everyone in your o- organization account- accountable for behaving that way if they lead people.
2: Gina, you have shared so much. I, I feel like we could chat about this for about three hours, if um, <laughs> not longer. But we you know, do have to respect those who are listening. There's just so much there. And I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing all of this. If you, I mean, we talked about what respect means. We talked about how to use that in the workplace. We talked about how it rolls over into our personal life. We've talked about what happens when people in the organization or even in our lives are not respectful um, or we're not feeling um, seen, heard, or valued what else is there i mean how would you wrap this up and um share just summarize it for those listening so that they will share how they can follow you too because there is so much more in your book as well but what what are your final words to our listeners about everything we talked about today
0: yeah if you don't mind i'd like to take it out of the professional sphere and just put it 100% into the personal i don't know what's happening in our world but we kind of all feel very disconnected and so The ultimate use of this idea, I I hope, is that anyone who hears it thinks about, well, what can I do today to put a little bit more of that respect vibe out into the world? Because I might not get it back 100% of the time, but I might get it back. But but I'm not even worried about if I get it back. I'm just worrying about putting it out there because I want to be uh, the catalyst that makes things better, right? And so on your next flight, Your next airplane flight, your next train ride, your next, I don't know, I'll say bus uh, just in case uh, at some cities, um, lots of people are using these services, but wherever you are in that public space, but I'm like, I like the plane because it has some physical constraints. You sit down in that seat and you just determine before you get onto that flight, I'm going to turn to the person next to me and say, hello,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. just that that's all I'm asking you to do. And the reason I say this is because what I observe, we do, and I've done it, we sit in our plane and we, our shoulders go together really tight. We look up at the other person with the corner of our eyes. We might say absolutely nothing. And then we fly up next to that person for three hours. We get off the flight and we disappear and we're gone. But if you turn to that person and say, hello, or whatever, you open up all kinds of possibilities. I'm not saying you got to talk to them for the whole flight. <laughs> I understand what that's about. But I am saying that the thing that will make the difference is a really small interpersonal interaction with people that can get things going in the right direction. Last time I did that, a guy gave me a whole package of crackers on my flight back from uh, Seattle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I actually met someone who very still friends today. It's probably been about nine years. Random was not in the mood to talk to anyone. Neither was he. And we ended up like chatting for some reason, and talked the whole entire flight. And there's a whole story behind it. Of I was, I was actually headed to Florida. He had a friend that needed something. I it was in my area where I was flying, not where he was flying. I'm like, I can go check on that friend for you. So totally random. Yes, I I was like, I can help. Like I'm right here. So, and we have stayed connected, chat a couple times a year. Nine years later, so.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great example of what we're talking about because it doesn't, it usually doesn't take much. In, and I think all of this falls into the category of respect of that first level of respect, which is just seeing the other human being and knowing the possibilities that, you know, interacting with that could person could be a positive thing rather than assuming it, that it will be a negative, you know, just that is all it takes to get started.
2: You never know about the other person until you actually open up that conversation. mm mm-hmm. I love it. Um, Gina, People, where can people find you and and download your book um, and follow you on your journey?
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, the book is available wherever books are sold. I think that's what us authors are taught to say. But, you know, Amazon, wherever. <laughs> so um. Amazon. <laughs> and
2: your website. But, yeah.
0: But um, you can also go to my website to find me. My name is Gina with an E, G-E-N-A-C-O-X. And that's also my website, GinaCox.com. And on the front page of my website, I have a form. If you want to get a copy of my free companion uh, ebook that talks a lot more about respect, very, a lot of details in there, probably more than you want, but from a business perspective, it might be ho- useful. Um, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Uh, so that's another way to get a sense of my style and the things that I like to talk about. I'm not totally a wallflower in terms of my opinions, uh, but my opinions are all about leadership and effectiveness. That's, my, that's what I focus on. Uh, so those are some ways to get a hold of me. Oh, and you know what? You should definitely <laughs> check out my TEDx talk. I, I keep forgetting to tell people that I have a TEDx talk that came out a couple of months ago.
2: <laughs> I I have seen it and I will put it in the link in the show notes no, of this episode. Yes, it's awesome. You look great on stage. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time today, Gina. It has been fabulous and very impactful for
1: those who are listening. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, it's been an honor and thank you.
1: I hope you enjoyed today's episode please be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. The Woman Choosing Growth Show is not just another podcast. It's a tribe of women helping each other grow. So please share this podcast with all the women entrepreneurs that you would love to see succeed. If you'd like to know more about customized business advising through Cultivate Advisors, download business tools or sign up for upcoming events, visit www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. Once again, that's www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. Remember, we are in this together. See you on the next one.